0: Hello and welcome to This Is Modern Rock. I'm Will Westerkow and this is May 1991. I'm joined today by Kirk Hamilton. Welcome.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. Sure. Kirk, you are a saxophonist, composer, yeah. jazz educator. Accurate. And I know about you because you are the host of a music podcast called Strong Songs. Yeah,
1: I host a podcast called Strong Songs, where I take music and kind of dig into it and pick it apart and sort of explain to people what's going on and hopefully help people hear new things in their favorite songs. So it's a kind of a music appreciation podcast, I guess.
0: Can I say it? it's a really good podcast? Oh man, thank you. Thanks so much. I'm
1: glad you dig it. It's very fun
0: to make keep it up. I hope it goes on for a long time I will I do too. Hopefully. Hopefully it will should we flash back to 1991? Let's do it 1991 quite a while. ago. Do you have any idea what was going on in May 1991? Oh man Well, so I was 11. Mm -hmm. So just to put things in context. Okay. Yeah, Um, me too. Oh nice. All right, man.
1: Cheers. Yeah, uh, so yeah I was young and yeah, even when I was a little older, like when I was a teenager, sort of in high school in the 90s, I was not ultra aware of the cool rock that was going on, like alternative rock, Nirvana, Jane's Addiction, whatever was yeah. beyond me. And I was I was really into jazz. I was like jazz saxophone student when I was in high school, and I just listened to jazz and then kind of other weird stuff. Jazz is this thing that kind of brings together a whole lot of things that I like and is a little more fun and more creative than, you know, the time I was having in concert band or whatever. Yeah. So it kind of was like the cool kind of music in band like Mm -hmm. i wasn't out in you know making a cool garage band playing guitar but if you were a dork (laughs) playing jazz was like the cool thing you could do yeah so i got really into it and i kind of just like caught the bug for it and got really into listening to old 1950s and 60s records and memorizing who was playing with whom and like transcribing solos and got really into it yeah and then i didn't get into alternative rock or most mainstream music really in the 90s or at least the early 90s later 90s i was like more aware of stuff
0: yeah so We weren't listening to a lot of rock music back in 1991. We were this week, though. This week, yeah. (laughs) But I can tell you uh, a few music fun facts that were going on back then. The 36th... Eurovision Song Contest oh, happened. Thirty-sixth
1: already in ninety yeah, one. That's right. Wow.
0: So the the winner was from Sweden, and they won with the song "Fangad av stormwind Okay,
1: something about the storm caught wind.
0: by the storm wind. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sweet. Good. Your Swedish is excellent. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm fluent. <laughs> yeah. So here's a good one. Jose Canseco, noted okay. baseball player for the uh, Oakland A's at yes. the time he was caught leaving Madonna's apartment. Oh, mm-hmm. this was peak
1: Madonna. Yes. Man, I just did an episode on Like a Prayer and yes. learned a lot about, I kind of got a sense of when Madonna happened, which mm-hmm. like I knew a lot of her music, but yes, 91 was a peak Madonna. Yes,
0: year. and I believe at an A's game, shortly thereafter, the fans serenaded Canseco with Like a Virgin. Oh man. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Should we talk about some bands? Let's do it. All right. We've got two number ones. In May 1991 and the first one is a band called Simple Minds. This band was formed in Glasgow, Scotland in 1977. Yeah, The core of this band is singer Jim Kerr and guitarist Charlie Burchill and these guys met when they were eight years old. Mm -hmm. Their first band together was a short-lived punk group called Johnny and the Self Abusers.
1: Wow, that's a punk (sighs) band name. Yeah, (laughs) it sure is.
0: (laughs) Yeah and my favorite thing about this band is it was popular at the time for the members of the band to give themselves fake names, something kind of edgy mm-hmm, and punk mm-hmm. sounding. So thing, you know, things like Johnny Rotten, right, right. Sid Vicious, that comes to mind. Rat Scabies, that's one right. of my favorites. <laughs> so, Kerr went with Pripton Weird. Okay. And Virtue yes. went with Charlie Argue. Charlie <laughs>
1: Argue. Those are both very British. I <laughs> think they, like. <well>, they are. <laughs> Those but, are very reserved and not very they, punk.
0: Exactly. That's it's funny. Yeah, I feel you know. My name's Nigel, slightly unpleasant. Right, <laughs>
1: right. Get out of my way, Rawr! <laughs> be afraid.
0: Yeah, they put out one single and then they split up. Mm-hmm. And Kerr and Burchill formed what was to be the first iteration of Simple Minds, which they named after a line from David Bowie's song "Jean Genie." Mm, okay, the line is, "He's so simple-minded, he can't drive his module." Okay. Which is weird, because I feel like I've heard that song 300 times, and those lyrics are not sounding familiar at I like all.
1: He Can't Drive His Module, though. That's yeah. a good lyric. Yeah.
0: They should have called themselves The Modules. Yeah. I think Ooh, that, that's a great name for a yeah. band. There's yeah. got to be a band called that Probably. somewhere. So, before I looked Simple Minds up, I guess I considered them a one-hit wonder. I remember them for their big hit, Don't You Forget About Me, right. from The Breakfast Club. Right. That was a number one hit in
1: the U.S. That was just like massive. One like still kind of an iconic song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one.
0: But they also are not technically one-hit wonders in the U.S. They hit mm. number three with a song called Alive and Kicking. But as it turns out, Simple Minds are one of those bands that are... Pretty humongously successful in the UK. Yeah. And they just don't happen to have a lot of success over here.
1: So I know the Breakfast Club song, mm-hmm. and I'd never really heard much of their other stuff. I think that the first thing I thought when I heard this was that this tune sounds like you too. And then I immediately thought, I bet that this is an infuriating thing to Simple Minds fans that has been like a constant thing for them because this band has been around for so long when they recorded this. Yeah, yeah so it's it was very interesting to hear this song in particular because it's a great tune and not one I was super familiar with. Yeah.
0: In the UK, Simple Minds are known as the most successful Scottish band of the '80s. They racked up 24 top 40 hits man, in the UK. Man, they have supposedly sold more than 60 million albums worldwide. Wow! Although I watched an interview with Jim Kerr, and he's like, "No, that's not right." Every <laughs> every time I check Wikipedia, they someone adds 10 million. This <laughs> is somebody, some yeah. simple fans yeah. stand yeah, in there yeah, adding exactly. numbers. Yeah. So, regardless, it's probably a lot of albums that they've sold. Mm-hmm. And at this point, they have put out nearly 20 studio albums most recently in 2018. So Man, still together, still doing it. Still doing it. Man, yeah,
1: that's amazing. It's amazing that this album is mainly just three guys too. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. As a fan of this recording.
0: Jim Kerr is also notable for being Mr. Chrissy Hind uh, Oh, really? From The Pretenders. Yes, from 1984 to 1990. And huh. he is the father of one of her children. I did not know that. Mm-hmm, along with uh, Ray Davies from The Kinks. Yeah, yeah. And I pulled a few quotes off of Simple Mind's website, which I thought were kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. They've described themselves as the most prolific and fast-evolving band of a generation. Mm Yeah, that's a cool quality for a band to
1: have. Not enough bands prize that, but that's definitely a cool thing.
0: Yeah, but they also noted that their landmark album, New Gold Dream served as the template for U2's The Unforgettable Fire Mm. two years later. So this is one of those things, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe they had some ideas that that, U2 are the ones who were inspired by their ideas. So it's a little uh, back and forth, Mm. perhaps. And Mm -hmm. um, I think we'll talk a little more about the U2 thing once we hear it. Yeah, It's pretty unavoidable. It is. So we're going to listen to a song called See the Lights. And this is the second single from Simple Mind's 11th studio album. Uh, The album's called Real Life. Here it is. Oh every
1: day. good song yeah. big song i feel like that song proves that you do not need a bass player in your band yeah. <laughs> also i think that like well i guess we can talk a little bit about jim kerr's singing but i think that charlie burchell is kind of the star of that track mm-hmm. i mean he's playing keys and guitar and there's so much cool stuff going on with the keys and the guitar yeah on that track i think he's just getting killer tones the yeah. kick drum sounds great everything just sounds really cool yeah, I dig it in general. I like the tubular bells. I like that oh, they're there were this, tubular like, bells in there. Dong, nice. It's like the church bell that rings out oh, yeah. every so often in this tune. Now, it's very dramatic. It's yeah. a gigantic sounding tune. I think it sounds great.
0: Yeah, I think so too. This was not one that I knew.
1: Yeah, I hadn't heard it before getting ready for this show.
0: Yeah, and you know, like we said, first impression sounds like they're chasing the Joshua tree pretty hard.
1: Yeah, it really has that sound. I mean, like, so the vocals. It's funny to say that someone sounds like Bono, which it could be that Bono sounds like Jim Kerr, you know, but I think that like, that's a weird thing to have be a bad thing. It's not Mm -hmm. a bad thing. Yeah, Bono's an amazing singer. Jim Kerr is an amazing singer. His his voice is friggin' beautiful. He sounds really, really good. He's definitely doing a lot of the same vocal techniques that Bono does. He's like singing into his mix and then he'll like grip it right Mm -hmm. up there at the F and pull it down. And he just has a very similar resonance and is doing a lot of the same kind of stuff without quite going, he didn't do the Bono thing where it's like, Hua! at the end, uh-huh. where he like wails on the high note. Yeah, Everything else is very there. But I really like the way he sings the song, so it's almost like, does it even matter it, exactly. if it sounds like he yeah, yeah, sings exactly. it beautifully? He sounds does. really good.
0: Yeah. Is there anything else we want to say about See the Lights?
1: Uh The kick drum. Is huge Yeah <laughs> It's like the biggest sounding kick drum I've heard anything I think it was interesting To listen to this one Up against the other four mm-hmm. songs That we're talking about On this episode yeah. Just because it's in such A different place Production wise yep. Compared to everything else And it's, I think it's really cool That those four songs Were all on the charts At the same time Like that is really cool So I heard it a lot in context I was like Well this just sounds Completely different This sounds right. this Super This feels like it's, it's ready
0: pop. To take it to the, uh, the Stadium level I think, Oh yeah, yeah Definitely Got the yeah. choir uh, Ready for the big oh, finish man. Yeah, especially the choir at the end. Though, I
1: mean, even there, there's like back of vocal things that happen at the end. There are some interesting parallels between these songs. Maybe it's because I listened to all four of them together, but I kept hearing similarities despite how totally different this is. And it's really funny that these guys started doing punk music because this is so not that. Right. But that they started there tells me a lot about their musical path. And like you were saying, like we were saying earlier, all the different sounds they've gotten over the years, which is pretty neat.
0: Yeah. So, one thing I failed to mention earlier is that during the first week of may 1991 Mm -hmm. the number one song was still rem's losing my religion and simple minds spent two weeks in the top spot with see the lights man and then for the final week of may elvis costello takes it away what do we know about elvis costello he's an interesting character he sure is declan mcmanus i know that much about (laughs) declan mcmanus yeah his actual name (laughs) international art thief Mm -hmm. yeah he's english He's been putting out albums for a long time also. Mm -hmm. His first album was released in 1977.
1: Wow, really? Yeah. So everybody has these arcs where they start in 77 and then peak again in 1991.
0: That's right. And he Uh, was originally associated with punk and new wave groups. But unlike many punk bands who... Often were teenagers just starting their musical path in 1977. Mm-hmm. He had already been around for a while performing mostly in the pub scene since the early 70s. He was in a band called Flip City. It's a great name. Yeah. Actually even before that his first broadcast recording was singing backup for his dad in a lemonade commercial. Really? Yeah, and this is apparently like a very well-known commercial in huh. England. That's it's funny. called I'm a secret lemonade drinker. His dad wrote it. His dad, I guess, wrote jingles. Nice. And we're going to listen to a clip. Oh, man. Okay. If you listen carefully, apparently we can hear a young Declan McManus, Elvis Costello, singing in the background. Oh, man. I'm a secret lemonade drinker. Always. 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 i trying to give it up, but it's one of those nights. Always. 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 What a great ad. I feel like I can hear a bit of some of Elvis Costello's For sure. vocal stylings no in, there. in there.
1: That's a kind of happening ad. Yeah. I like that genre of ad. I feel like that's gone out of style. The like, I'm stealing the food because it's so good I don't want anyone else to have uh, it ad. <laughs> but, that, that was a thing. Oh, yeah. yeah I feel like that's that was a big totally
0: part a of uh, my childhood. There's a I've lot of, like, associations with
1: stealing food. Or, like, yeah. protecting the food and hoarding the yeah. food. Yeah. Well, definitely yeah, with, with, with uh, breakfast cereal. For sure. Yeah.
0: So... In 1976, Elvis Costello, I guess at the time Declan McManus, he signed to Stiff Records and he was calling himself D.P. Costello. Hmm. His manager suggested using the first name Elvis, and I guess he said yes.
1: Oh, I don't know. Just name yourself after the most famous musician of all time. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) Sure. Sounds good.
1: I'll do it. What the heck?
0: Yeah. So on Elvis Costello's first album, he was backed up by a band called Clover, Hmm. and this band later went on to... Essentially form the news, as in Huey Lewis and the news. Oh man! Uh, right. and I, I think some members also joined the Doobie Brothers, oh, okay. but Huey Lewis and the news, mm-hmm. the news were more or less Elvis Costello's band. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Also, in 1977, Elvis Costello made his first appearance on Saturday Night Live, mm. and this was kind of an infamous thing where he stopped playing his song Less Than Zero mid-intro. Oh,
1: yeah. And, right,
0: right. And then he started playing Radio Radio, which, for whatever reason, Lorne Michaels was like, I'm so upset, you're banned from SNL for 12 years. Wow.
1: Yeah. Just for the song you did? Yeah. That's. Uh, you didn't even tear up a picture of the Pope or anything? No, <laughs> exactly. just did a song about the radio. Don't they realize it gets them notoriety? It makes them look legit. They yeah. have like real stuff happening on the
0: show. Exactly. But this stunt and a number of other incidents led to Costello being labeled an angry young man, which... This is like a, sure. a, a genre. I'm not just saying uh-huh. like someone said, "Hey, you're angry." And right. You're, you're talking men. a capital A, capital. Yeah, fly, yeah. Capital this was N. the thing. There were a number of artists like Joe Jackson and yeah, Grant yeah, Parker, yeah, yeah. and this was a label that was applied to them. It's the angry young men, and they're uh, taking over the okay. airwaves or whatever. Okay, I guess um, I get that. Yeah. Which I don't know. I think that's a hilarious label.
1: It's funny. Well, especially in retrospect, it looks funnier. <laughs> like yes. Looking back on it. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Oh, you guys didn't know anything.
0: <laughs> and it could be worse. I mean, like the British press loves putting labels on things, and mm-hmm. some of these genres, like the baggy movement. Like, I don't want to be part of the baggy movement. (laughs) What (laughs) is that?
1: I just want to play music, man. Yeah.
0: I want to be an angry young man.
1: Definitely sounds better, I guess.
0: Yeah. Anyway, Elvis Costello, he had an astounding run of great albums.
1: Man, yeah. Elvis is a guy that I'm not ultra familiar with. And then every time I hear one of his songs now, I'm freaked out by how good it is. Yeah.
0: So in 1991, Costello released his album, Mighty Like a Rose great name. And this is his 13th studio album at that point. We're going to hear The Other Side of Summer. This is a 70s era Beach Boys pastiche, I guess.
1: That's a fair thing to describe it as, or like maybe a postmodern commentary on Beach Boys pastiche. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly, yes. Yeah. So
0: we'll get into the lyrics uh, after we hear it. I think it's definitely worth thinking about those. Yeah. So here it is, The Other Side of Summer. yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: There's malice and there's magic in every season Find all break brave shot the wise of the serve The older i get the more i like simplicity the more i like when a song is very straightforward and Mm -hmm. just has a simple melody but i'm i'll always be a sucker for when there's just a lot of cool stuff going on on a song and there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the song the production is bananas on this it's so much happening i think there's like two credited bass players a lot of singers a lot of different instruments i don't know what do you make of this song
0: the first thing i notice is it has that kind of beach boy sound to it. It yeah. has summer in the title. I think most people, when they first listen to songs, they're not catching a ton of lyrics. Oh, right. And so it's a kind like, of carnival vibe yeah, almost, like yeah. some of those bass lines and stuff yeah. sound like something you'd hear at a carnival. Yeah, so I think this one you could hear a bunch of times and just go like, yeah, this is my summer jam yeah, yeah. or whatever. Like It's making me feel good. And then, you know, eventually those lyrics start to creep and you're like, wait mm-hmm. a minute, no, oh, I got tricked here. There's right. something else going on.
1: Right. Even musically, the more you listen to it, it has a kind of crazed energy there's one thing it does musically that i like that's sort of in line with the idea of it being very sad and happy at the same time he jumps to this minor thing in the middle he goes to like the to d minor to like the five minor which is a weird place to jump or at least just not somewhere a song normally goes this is not like really standard chord progression a lot of the time it's kind of descending bass lines a lot of just like basic one two five one stuff and then suddenly it's just like d minor it's like and it like totally changes keys yeah it's neat it's i guess it's the verse really the verse just goes to minor suddenly and five minor like it's not like a normal you know a lot of times you go to the six minor or whatever the yeah. three minor but it's like five minor oh okay like we're really going to a jarringly it different is, yeah, sounding yeah, it's thing a bit yeah. Jarring, yeah yeah it's cool yeah I was thinking, listening to this, it kind of reminds me of that band Jellyfish, because mm. um, the one album of theirs I really know is Spilt Milk, and that was 1993, so a couple of years after this, but that kind of also has that Twisted Beach Boys yes. feeling to it, where sometimes it's just really triumphant rock, but there's totally a dark side to it. It's very sweet, and then suddenly the band goes kind of nuts, and everything gets really loud and falls apart. There's kind of a feeling of, like I don't know, disintegration in their music, too, like at the end of the song. That yeah. just gives it this kind of eerie, creepy quality For sure, yeah. That I that I do dig.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's keep going. That's our number ones for the month. Nice. But we have a couple number twos. The first one we're going to hear is a band called The Laws la apostrophe s just right in case not that's the not laws yes yeah not
1: not the series of statutes that govern our, our <laughs> everyday life
0: exactly although that's not a bad name is has anyone taken the them? laws no, yeah. yeah
1: you could fight the laws and mm-hmm. then the laws would win that's right <laughs> you'd have to cover that song as an encore at
0: every show yes so the laws were formed in 1983 by someone named mike badger mm-hmm. and The next year, Lee Mavers joined as guitarist, but over time, he became the band's principal songwriter and Mm -hmm. singer and leader, and Mike Badger, who started the band, ended up leaving in 1986. Always a
1: strange thing when that happens. Mm -hmm. You got to be weird to watch your band, especially when they then have this mega hit, or at least the song that's stayed in the popular consciousness for decades, and be like, oh, I had nothing to do with that, but Mm -hmm. I did start that band.
0: (laughs) Claim to fame, I guess, you know? So The Laws, they only released one album before going on an extended hiatus 1990. The album's called The Laws. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I found when I was looking this up. All of the songs were written between 1986 and 1987. Right. This
1: is like a reissue, right? I think I read that Steve Lillywhite like remixed the album and they re-released it.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know if they ever initially released it. They released some, oh, okay. some singles. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. But the album itself was a product of three years of recording and they worked with at least eight producers. Wow. And <laughs> That
1: doesn't exactly like speak well in the band. Or I don't know. I don't want to jump to conclusions. But when eight producers have come and gone. That's it's a, the producers fault. There's some call, story the there. Right. You know. They were all just total you know, hacks. I don't know what they were
0: doing. Uh, and they actually worked in at least 12 different recording studios well, trying to put this together. So, well. yeah. And like you said, the final album was produced using audio recorded with Steve Lillywhite. Mm-hmm. And Steve Lillywhite, I mean, I don't want to go through his credits. He's yeah. worked with pretty much everybody. Iconic it, dude. It's a name that comes up a lot. And the album was met with critical acclaim. But even so, the Laws were not happy with the results, even mm. after all of that. They, they should have gone to another
1: couple uh, studios, they should gotten be, to an even 20. Yeah,
0: exactly. Ten, they needed <laughs> 10 producers, 20 studios. <laughs> right. And Lee Maver stated that he hated the album and that the sound was, and I quote, all fucked up like a snake with a broken back. Interesting.
1: I guess I kind of could see saying that, at least about this song. I haven't listened to the whole album, but yeah. like it's got a kind of weird twisty quality to it. Yeah. Well, it's I'm, a it, weird it, song. <laughs> it
0: would after recording it. Yeah. Over the course of three years and yeah. so many so many studios. Even so, even though the band doesn't like it, a lot of other people do. Mm-hmm. This album has ended up in the 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die book. Wow. Uh, Noel Gallagher from Oasis chose it as one of his top thirteen albums of all time. Mm. And There She Goes was the Law's second single. It was originally released in 1988, and then maybe again in 1989, and then it was remixed by Steve Lillywhite. Mm-hmm. And released in October of 1990. And this time around, it worked. I don't know what was wrong with it the first few times. Yeah. Yeah. And it reached number 13 in the UK and number 49 in the US on the actual Hot 100 charts. And it reached number two on the Modern Rock charts. I guess I should also say... It was re-released in 1999 and 2008. Right. I saw it had some later re-releases. It just
1: just has had a very interesting track record, this song. That doesn't seem very common to me.
0: No. Although more common in the UK for some reason. Mm -hmm. Songs seem to get re-released over there for whatever reason.
1: The whole re-release thing that even would happen, you know, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, I found this working on strong songs. It'll be like, oh, this was actually initially released this year and then re-released this later year and then it finally charted. I feel like that doesn't happen anymore maybe it does and I'm just not aware of it but it feels to me now like a song comes out and it really comes out and I guess it's because artists have so many avenues of publishing their own music and so then you hear it immediately and then if that's the song it came out right when it came out I don't really get a sense of a song coming out and then getting a do-over.
0: I've heard of some songs in in recent years where they don't do a re-release but it's like a really slow build. Like Mm. someone releases something on YouTube and it's there Mm -hmm. like hanging around for two years Mm -hmm. and then somehow it goes viral after all that time. I guess
1: yeah like like Old Town Road then got the build. Ray Cyrus version, which yeah. is like the definitive version. So, I guess there is stuff like that where there's like a second version. The
0: definitive version. Yes. I love that version. So <laughs> I kind of love that song. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we could talk about this stuff after we listen to the song, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Let's go ahead and listen to it. This is There She Goes, which, as I just said that, I suddenly wanted to say, There She Blows. There she <laughs> blows. <laughs> there she blows. It suddenly <laughs> sounded like a pirate anthem. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why. It's like
1: the Moby Dick theme song. There
0: oh, yeah. <laughs> it is. There She Goes.
1: I saw online that this song might be about heroin. Yes, I read that too. So it kind of lines up with the lyrics; sort of makes
0: sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Can't get her out of my head, and she makes me feel better. What's the lyric?
0: I think there's a like a racing through my veins. Yeah, that's Something it. Something like that. That's it,
1: man. But um, I do like it. I found when I was looking, this is something that I enjoyed, especially knowing that this song may or may not be about heroin. Let's just say it's about heroin. Okay. Um, Is this line from the Wikipedia entry on this song, which is sixpence none the richer's version, Uh which I remember certainly from some movie or something. Can
0: I say... Snow Day. That was the movie. It was uh, from Snow Day.
1: Okay. okay, that's what it's from. The yes. definitive canonical use yes. of Sixpence None the Richers <laughs> version of there. She goes, this is Wikipedia, Sixpence None the Richers version of the song was used in commercials for birth control company Ortho Tricyclin from 2004 to 2005. And I enjoy that only because it continues the long tradition of commercials using songs that are about heroin for huh? <laughs> things that are not heroin. It yeah. wasn't like Lust for Life, that like Iggy Pop song yeah. was selling Carnival Cruise Lines oh, or something sure. like that. And yeah. I feel like that is a, it's a long long-standing terrible tradition yeah so that's kind of appropriate
0: i feel like this happens a lot where songs are used for lyrical reasons mm-hmm. rather than musical reasons and they'll right. go like oh they mentioned a she this well, drug is for uh, women
1: right i always think of this from so i married an axe murder mm-hmm. it plays yeah and it's always when the woman walks by there she goes it's an extremely yes. literal interpretation yes. when it is interesting that there is this other more metaphorical yes. interpretation And also, you know, I think the way that he sings it, that Lee Mavers sings this song, is interesting because there's something kind of weird in his performance. He's got a bit of a
0: graveliness to his voice or something. Yeah. He
1: jumps up into his head voice. He has that really nice thing and it's mixed all gorgeous. But then when he comes back down, it's like, oh, my name. Like he kind of is like, screeches it out a little bit. And it has a kind of punk sound to it that I think is actually, like, crucial. Like, without it, it would be this really almost treacly, insipid song. But with it, it just gives it this edge that works. And then when you remove it, and sure, the singer from Sixpence on the Richard, lovely voice and everything, but it just becomes so clean and pretty that it just becomes fully this insipid version of itself, which is sort of an interesting contrast, I
0: guess. Yeah. Here's what really struck me. I've heard this song a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, both versions many 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 times yeah (laughs) and somehow it never occurred to me that there's not really a verse on the song it is a chorus four times yep and there's a bridge which is kind of the chorus yeah like with minor it goes to minor it goes to minor yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah i had the same thought like learning it, i was sitting there thinking okay Okay, so it's like Uh one five four. Yeah, they took a break for a little musical interlude or whatever, but yeah. That's basically it. It's just this one idea and it doesn't even really develop the idea that much. It's a cool idea. The one thing that I like, I talk about this on Strong Songs a lot, is the contrary motion. The bass goes down. It's like boom, boom, boom. And the melody goes there she goes, Mm -hmm. like it goes up, which is a nice sound. So they repeat it over and over again. And it's cool to hear that diverging thing. I like the guitar part. But really, by the end of the song, I mean, there's some new stuff in there. But it isn't one of those things where they take a simple idea, and then add layers and and a whole bunch of cool ideas. They had a few layers, Mm -hmm. but it's really just kind of here it is, enjoy it, it's going to play a few times and then we're done. Right. And And, I will
0: say they made the right call keeping it under three minutes. Yeah, it's nice and short. That doesn't always happen. No, it's true.
1: (laughs) Like five minutes of that, it just keeps going with the idea over and over and over again. Yeah. But yeah, it's remarkable how this song has such staying power, how someone could just write one melodic idea like that and make a song that is basically just that idea and it just carries on forever and ever and ever. Even people, I'm sure so many people know this song and don't even know who the laws are, don't know anything about this album or anything. They've just heard the song so many
0: times in yeah. so many contacts. Well, you know, I can give you some context. They might have heard it. In addition to Snow Day, the yeah. uh, Sixpence version, this song has also appeared in the soundtracks to The Parent Trap, Ah, uh, okay. Fever Pitch, mm-hmm. Girl Interrupted, mm-hmm. Cold Case. Oh, man. And you mentioned So I Murdered an axe ex- murderer <laughs> so, so, I, I so I Married an axe ex- ex- murderer. murderer I don't think he murders uh, no, no. Can't remember how it ends. Which apparently has both this version and a version by the Boo Radleys.
1: Yeah, there's like two times that it plays because it's kind of the theme song of him seeing her, if I remember correctly. There's sort of a whole sequence where he keeps seeing her at the butcher shop.
0: And I don't want to leave this out because I know there's some listeners who are going to be really upset if I don't mention that it also appeared in the pilot episode of Gilmore Girls.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 It's funny. It's just funny that it's used so literally at every possible opportunity. So really, all you need to do is write a song that could be applied Mm -hmm. to a very common scene in a movie or advertisement or a TV show. Yeah. And you're golden. Like, somebody's
0: angry. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Right. Just come up with universal emotions and then make that the title of your song and you're going to get a ton of royalties.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, there she goes. Managed to make it to number two. And then... The Violent Femmes. Oh, man. American music takes that spot. And number two, this is a trio. Mm-hmm. They were formed in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. At an early show in 1981, these guys were busking outside of a venue. Mm-hmm. And James Honeyman Scott from The Pretenders walks by and hears them. And he's just like, that's cool. I like these guys. <laughs> and uh, I guess he tells Chrissy Hine about them. Mm-hmm. And she invites them up to open for the band. Man. And uh, that's, that's at the show that. they're playing. Yeah
1: it's so in their energy too, that busking energy. They always manage to sound like a band that you're hearing on the street in a really good way. I mean that like in the
0: best possible way. Yes. And so they put out their first album, 1983's Violent Femmes. And, This album is a classic. It's like one of the great debut albums Mm. as far as I'm concerned. It's really amazing. The most well-known song is Blister in the Sun. Of course. Which growing up, uh, being in high school in the 90s, I thought it was a new song. Like they played it, they still played it on the radio like it was new. I had no idea this was from 1983.
1: So you know how I know this song is actually, I went to summer camp and they would sing it at summer camp. Really? I was pretty little at the time like eight or nine or yeah. something and we would sing it just because it has the clapping part you yes. know and like yes. and we just loved it it was so fun to sing and there was just someone who would always bust out the guitar at campfires and sing it and then i do remember someone telling me what that song was about and being like oh it's like about like masturbation uh-huh. it's about sex and i was like i was so young i was like "Ooh, like yeah. i don't even know what that means but yeah. that yeah. sounds cool yeah and um so i've known that song almost since i can remember even before well before i listened to the violent Femmes as a band or even knew the original version because it was like a campfire song yes almost. that's great it's, yeah pretty yeah. cool
0: and at that point it was still kind of an old song yeah <laughs> I mean, right you know, right yeah. even by then yeah.
1: it was like an old old classic from whatever six or seven years ago yeah
0: yeah so this album it's you know i want to say angsty but like not in the nirvana like grunge kind of angst, Different kind of angst yeah. yeah it's like this horny not like brooding angst yes, but more like yes, keening yes, yeah, yes. Angst. higher, um,
1: higher pitched higher frequency angst yes I
0: mean. It was financed for $10,000 that were borrowed from the drummer's dad. Man. And it took eight years, but it eventually went platinum, which is pretty amazing. Good investment, dad. Yeah, Yeah, right. It's
1: good. (laughs) Definitely a good loan. Yeah. You know, one thing I like is that they have a horn section called the Horns of Dilemma. Really? First off, I think all horn sections should have a name. Yes. Gotta name your horns. And the Horns of Dilemma is a very, very good name.
0: That's great. Yeah, very cool. Good name. So, we're going to be listening to a song from the Violent Femmes' fifth album, Why Do Birds Sing? This song is called American Music. Here it is. Do you like American music?
1: I do. I like that American music. It's funny that the one American band on this episode did a song called "American Music." That's like, do they like American music? (laughs) Uh, Unclear. (laughs) Yeah, some some parts of that song make it a little bit unclear. What a cool song, though! Holy crap! No other band sounds like them. Like they just sound like they sound like the Violent Femmes. They Mm. sound like themselves, and that's
0: very cool. What is this song about? <laughs> Should we even ask that question? I don't you know, know. I, I've tried
1: to figure it out. Well, so this is another one with an interesting form, right? I mean, it's kind of just a chorus over and over again. There's like a pre-chorus that happens sometimes. There's a verse lyrically where he sings lyrics that aren't, you know, I like American music. Mm-hmm. But it's the same melody so he's just singing right. verse lyrics over the same melody yes. and it kind of just goes over and over again i love the way he begins this also we are laughing about this listening to it but just that he's like one two three four and this is the most chilled guitar chord ever
0: this is american music take one one two three four do you like american music just
1: The fact that he laughs, you can hear him laughing while he's doing it. And it's kind of like a joke, even on the way that albums will do the thing where the person talks to the producer in the booth before they record. Yeah. Yeah, but it's kind of like a punk, like uh, making fun of the people who do that, which is just very funny. I get the sense that he is kind of taking the piss in the song, right? Especially yes. there's that line where they're like, "We like all kinds of music," uh-huh. and he's like, "Well, I like American music best."
0: Like lyrically, you're trying to figure out what it's about, it seems kind of like a romantic trip to the lake or something, right? right I want, I want you to hold me. I want your arms around me. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. do too many drugs, so something's going on. But the moon is ugly. The lake is ugly. I love
1: that line. Oh man, I wrote this line down where he's like, "You were born too." soon i was born too late but every time i look at that ugly lake it reminds me of me uh-huh. which is amazing is that like a narcissist reference to like I, narcissist catching his own reflection I, in the lake because oh, when you, you look know, at a lake you do see yourself I right And so, yeah. he just sees how crappy he is and the lake is ugly and it's sort of this right or the ugly moon right yes. we're on this beautiful night like you said we're on this it's a yeah. beautiful night I only actually like everything is kind of ugly and yeah. crappy. And so, that's the energy of the song is very cool. The way that it's designed is cool. I like the sleigh bells too. There's mm-hmm. just sleigh bells that fully come in at various points. It's like, why use a tambourine when you can yeah. use actual sleigh bells to have play with the, the band. That yeah. guitar solo is great. That's mm-hmm. super reverb-y tone. It's a man. It's a good sounding song. I just, yeah. I'm a, I'm a really big fan of this.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that was our four songs we're going to listen to. Yeah. Uh, you know, we didn't get to go any deeper than number two, which is unusual. I often like to pick something from way down low on the charts. But just way back there. You know, I couldn't do it. I didn't want to miss out on any of these songs. These are all great. Yeah. I mean,
1: they're all fun. And it was fun to, man, it was so fun to go listen to them. There's so much music, man. It's all so good. And there's so much of it. It makes yeah. me want to go listen to all of this it's, stuff just it's relentlessly. Yeah. This yeah. was cool. This, yeah. like, the early 90s is a very interesting time in music. It's kind of my sense. It was a, obviously transitional in a lot of ways, but... Yeah it's not nineties music in the way that when people talk about nineties music, they're usually talking about the later nineties or the grunge stuff from the kind of early mid, but the very early stuff, I like the transitional phases. I Mm -hmm. guess I like the early eighties too. Like, so this has been really fun, like yeah. just going back to it. Yeah, well, um,
0: you know, I enjoyed having you on the show. Sure, man. Um, you know, you you say the things I wish I could say about music. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> you, you're just so good at, like, pointing out instruments and noticing what's going on. <laughs> it's it's
1: great. slowly honing those, yes. those pointing out skills. Uh, yeah.
0: So if I want to direct some people toward whatever you're up to, if anyone yes. wants to listen to Strong Songs, and you should.
1: But it's on Apple and, like, Google and stuff. You can find it at strongsongspodcast.com. There's links for everything there. Okay. I guess people can find me. I'm I mostly use Twitter. I'm on Twitter at kirk k i r k hamilton. So that's kind of I always post up there too. So that's an easy place to find me.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll catch you next time in June nineteen ninety one.